Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Here we go on the 15th of February, the Bob Olin Show. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. We're halfway through, I guess, the shortest month of the year here. We are having a real old-fashioned winter, aren't we? Yeah, uh, temperature-wise, for sure. I think we're about normal on the snowfall, but boy, it's been a cold uh, winter so far. It has been. It has been, and right at a time when I know uh, heating bills are going up, mm. I've experienced that, but I... I always remember we got a few folks starting their greenhouses right now, our commercial industry, and uh, most of them use propane, and I think uh, they'd like to see things warm up in a hurry right now, too, before they're too aggressive. Well, the good news is the sun stays up a little bit longer nowadays as uh, it streams in the, uh, well, I guess, what, south-facing windows pr- pretty pretty long now. Yeah, it does. That makes that makes a difference. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that, and uh, you're pretty good tracking that. It's It's rather dramatic, I think. The day length increases rapidly as we move here into the uh, into the very very early spring late winter. Is that not correct, Dave? Yeah, you bet. Seven thirteen was sun up this morning. It'll set at five thirty four this afternoon, and uh, we gain a couple three minutes every day. Yeah, so we're on our way. That's for mm-hmm. sure. You know, weather's. Uh, I guess on everyone's mind, it's going to be. It'll be kind of interesting going forward here we obviously are in some climate change uh, even though this was a colder winter nothing like uh, you and i both remember from the good old days uh, <laughs> don't see any 30 40 below weather but we sure saw some 20 below weather this year for sure right um what are they predicting well it's kind of interesting because uh, you know we're looking at our growing season that's what's really critical for those of us growing outside whether you're uh, gardening or farming or or truck farming, one thing or another, and uh, there's a little change in their forecast. They're saying we're coming into the spring planting period, we're going to be a little bit above average in terms of temperature and a little bit above average in terms of moisture. So we might get things off to a good start, uh, things about average through, in the, through the growing season, and then coming into August and September, it is going to be warmer than average and a little drier. So that we really didn't like. So I think we're going to see... Um, Conditions um, fairly similar to what we had last year. So uh, hopefully we get a little moisture and we get those timely rains. But it's kind of interesting, all the projections and what the averages tell us, Dave, is that uh, we are getting uh, rainfall events, may or may not occur. We didn't see that last year, but we sure had some washing a couple years before that. And uh, we're seeing increasing uh, evening temperatures, not the real extremes. So we're very fortunate that way. We're not seeing those 100-plus degree days or what the rest of the country is experiencing with real intense heat and forest fires and so forth. Uh, We're not seeing that here in the upper Midwest. We're seeing warmer temperatures, slightly elongated uh, growing season. we got to be a little bit careful there because we've been full of the last couple of years with late frosts and uh, you know, uh, almost mid-June, June 11th, June 12th, we had a frost, had a heavy, heavy freeze just before Memorial Day. Uh, not a frost, but 20, 21 degrees in some places last year. So even though the uh, season may be extending, we're just going to have to watch those short-term forecasts. Um, it may be extending your growing days, but you don't know which end it's going to come on. You might have a late frost. Uh, late frost in the spring and then a late frost in the fall, and the average tells you it's a longer growing season, but you can still get caught in the early part of the year if you're not careful. So we're looking forward to another good year. 
I think, again, we're, we're really pretty fortunate uh, in view of the fact we're not uh, experiencing real droughty, extreme conditions. It looks like we're going to be okay again uh, this year going forward. Dave. Yeah, well, keep the blankets handy just in case you get those uh, early frosts or late frosts. So. Yeah, it's one thing you got to think about. Now, we all kind of like to jump the season because we got a lot of daylight, so we would mm-hmm. like to get things established. But my experience has told me that you take a nice plant that you've grown out, perhaps uh, from seed you've transplanted it a couple times, and then it doesn't freeze, but we get those cold temperatures, even though we've protected them, and we set that plant back. Then it takes it a, while, a little time to grow out of that. So in many cases, you're almost better off delaying a couple of days and setting them out when conditions are just a little bit more favorable. The ideal scenario is that you don't start too early. You never want to harden these plants off. You want them to grow continuously, so you want to start too early. You want to start your seed too early. And then uh, you transplant regularly, but uh, if you if you went in too early or if we have a very late or cool temperatures being forecast, we have to hold them back. Otherwise, you get real long and stretchy, and that's really hard to overcome. So we cut back on the water we cut back on the temperature and that kind of sets the plant back it hardens it off and then it's difficult for it to regrow this uh, rapid growth which we'd like to see so my own thought is start a little later on on some of the seeding and uh, get it growing continuously don't set it back and have your timing set so that you can move it right out into the garden when uh, conditions are a little bit warmer a little bit more uh, amenable to good quality rapid growth Dave. Uh, yesterday was Valentine's Day, Bob, and a lot of uh, ladies and maybe gentlemen too got to maybe cut flowers, including lots of roses. I'm sure were sold. How do we keep those fresh and looking good for a little while? Well, you know, I think the big thing—it's almost like with the Christmas tree—make sure ah. you get those bottom <laughs> stems cut off. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have to pull moisture up. A lot of them have got a uh, preservative pack that come with them. Some don't, but nonetheless. Here is again uh, a point where you want to find just a little cooler spot in the house. Mm. And I think uh, with uh, fuel prices going up, there are going to be a lot of folks in slightly cooler spots where they can let them sit or reside for a while. <laughs> uh, indirect sunlight, you don't want them in the direct sun, so those sunny southern windows, you want to keep them out of there. But uh, you're absolutely right, and uh, you can enjoy those for uh, a considerable portion of time. You know, a lot of people, I saw a lot of... Uh, green plants being given uh, azaleas in full bloom which were magnificent so these are really house plants that are grown out and those can be of course a very very nice gift that uh, continues to give for months if not years some of these for sure Dave. Surprising uh, there was a a lot of roses available I'm not sure where they're grown but uh, the supply issues and transportation issues apparently not a big problem at least not around here. Isn't, it, isn't that interesting? I noticed the same thing because other things, and everyone's seen this, uh, yeah. the bear shells, uh, uh, shortage of supply, a lot of talk about supply chain and lack of labor, and it's, it's something we're not accustomed to, is it really, Dave? Right. I mean, we're, we're accustomed to having everything we want all the time, 24 <laughs> hours a day, so it's a little light, but I noticed the same thing. There definitely were plants available. You know, we do have an industry in the in the Twin Cities that grows a lot of these undercover, and uh, uh, okay. not necessarily the roses. Some of the roses, smaller roses, a lot of those get air freighted in from uh, South America, actually, and uh, Colombia is a big supplier, as well as Central America, so it's a big industry that way. It's made it kind of competitive. We used to have, in the upper Midwest, we used to grow a lot of our roses, even under greenhouses and covers, and uh, Lenny Bush down in the Twin Cities was really a renowned rose grower, 
And uh, then uh, Air Freight came along, and it made it real challenging for them. So they kind of shifted their production into a lot of these uh, flowering house plants, a lot of the potted materials. So we saw a lot of potted azaleas, some of the uh, the tight budded tulips. Uh, a lot of these are grown uh, domestically. They're mm-hmm. grown here in Minnesota, down in the Twin Cities, principally, where they got large commercial greenhouse operations that. Uh, that are supplying some of this. But you're absolutely right. Maybe some of that was close to home. Maybe it's some of it. Maybe there's a good reason. Uh, margins are pretty good, I think, on some of those. <laughs> so they make a make them a high priority and make sure they get them here. If you get them here on the 15th rather than the 14th of February, it doesn't do you much good. So I think uh, you're absolutely right, Dave. I noticed the same thing. Good supply this year. Yeah, probably be some pretty good bargains on roses today, I would imagine, if there's any left over. <laughs> I've never shopped, but you're yeah, probably I, right. I don't know. Well, let's go to the phones, Bob. Uh, hi, who's this? Uh, this is John from Palo. Hey, John. I got a question. Hello, John. How are you? I bet you're cold things up in Palo <laughs> this morning, huh? Oh, yes. Uh, I got a question about potatoes. Last year, we uh, I grew uh, about over 200 hills. Uh, oh, half that's good. Is half reds every year. And uh, this last year... The uh, vines on the reds died like normal, and boy, the vines on the uh, russets just continued to go and go. And I got in there, and I looked, and here it was a weed that looks exactly like the potato plant, and the, the one stem goes right down by the hill, and then you pull it, and it brings up about four square feet of weeds with it. Do you know what that is? Uh-huh. Oh boy, I'd have to take a look at the leaves and uh, in comparison, but very aggressive. Uh, how did the potatoes compete against that weed? Did you get well, decent yield? Yes, but uh, little ones were fine. But then some of the bigger ones, if you bake one, it will taste bad and really oh. an off taste. And but oh. it looks so much like a potato weed. And I got a half a pickup load of weeds just out of that, and only the the restes were bothered. Oh, boy, that's really, uh, really interesting. Uh, do you save seed, or did you bring seed in? Uh, no, we usually plant our own in the spring. Plant your own seed, so you save seed over. Yeah. And, um, boy, the fact that that's kind of a puzzle, the fact you only saw it on the russets, which would lead, yes. me, to believe, lead me to believe that we brought that uh, seed in. As you looked at the weeds and pulled them, was it perennial or was it the uh, an annual that took off and grew on you? Uh, you can well, sometimes tell a difference because you know an annual had more of a light fibrous root. You don't have those real thick stems, but they can be very vigorous plants. Yeah, well, these were thick, and when you when you pull them, you know there was only one root there in a big area, and then you pull them, and you got all kinds of weeds when you pull it up, and it just seems like it comes to the hill, either on the hill or right beside it. Mm. And uh, but they, I, I just look so much like a potato. I thought, why hasn't the russets dried up? And then yeah, I got in looking, they had dried up, but this weed was going like crazy. Yeah, did uh, you know? My concern is that it might be with you again if you've got. The, it, did they have a chance to grow out and set seed? When you mentioned uh, one single root, is it, are you familiar with the red-wooded pigweed, which can be a major major problem for us? Are you familiar with that weed? I think so. We had it on the farm, and it isn't that. Cause these were just, they looked so much like a potato. Oh, just like a potato. 
I'm not uh, not really sure, in all honesty. All I could say is that uh, we must carry that in with the seed, which would lead me to believe that it's probably an annual. And it uh, uh, sounds like you pulled some out there. We'd like to get them out before they set seed so you don't have a repetitive thing because chances are it could spread to other parts of the uh, field. It's kind of thing you want to be uh, kind of aware of uh, next year. Do you heal your potatoes uh, mechanically? Uh, yeah, about yeah, three times or usually, second two or three times. But this didn't start until late fall. There was nothing okay. in the summer. Okay. You know what happened last year? Uh, that leads me to believe, again, that this was this came from a seed. It's an annual. It was probably carried in someplace with that seed that was planted. We had rain that came in the fall, so a lot of the seed sat there dormant. It was there and in the soil, but it was dry. Unless you're not irrigated, are you? Well, I, I hauled water uh, last hauled year. some water, so yeah, but not overhead or anything. Um what happened, I had the same experience. We had a tremendous flush of weeds. That The, the weeds sat there in the warm soil, and those soils were warm all year, but in many cases, there wasn't enough moisture to germinate them. They sat, soils were warm, we had that rain in the fall, and they took off and grew like crazy. So it's an annual of one or another. I'm quite convinced uh, that would fit with what you described. Um, you want to make sure you get them, you get everything hilled, uh, annuals. You can control with hilling if you could, if you watch it, hilling and shallow cultivation. So you just want to be aware of the fact that there might be quite a bit of seed that got kicked in there. And we brought it in from someplace. And my suspicions are that seed was either on the soil or one thing with the, uh, with the actual, those are russets that you, that you had the problem with. Is that correct? Right. Russets are not red. Burbank russet or Norcota or what type of russet? You know, I don't remember. Okay. Uh, and But we got three gardens, and each year we plant half of one. So it's six-year cycle. We don't plant in the same place. Oh, that's good. And I think I think I would, uh, you know, continue to move them out of that area for sure. I would uh, be aware of the fact you're probably going to get uh, quite a weed seed, a bit of weed seed, uh, that may germinate this year if, in fact, we get this moisture in the spring that they're calling for in May and early June. If we get uh, rain at that particular time, you want to continue to sh- shallow cultivate and be aware of the fact so you don't get that uh, that same weed that gets real aggressive on you next year. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for the call. Every year is a little different. Uh, we get some things that are always just a little usual, but that was some kind of an annual weed seed that got carried in there, and it really didn't flush until we got those rains in the fall. All right, Bob, we'll take a break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And we're back. Another portion of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday, the 15th of February. Uh, Bob getting ready to uh, do some planting here as we're getting closer and closer oh, yeah. to that season. <laughs> Absolutely. We're getting close now. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll go back and our caller there from Palo mm-hmm. uh, is growing a potato crop. You know, potatoes are, are very interesting. Uh, we have more people now getting some inflation, seeing food price inflation, and uh, people might be growing uh, with economics in mind. It's real interesting. You know, we get right back far enough. We've seen some tough recessions in the area before. And it's an area where I opened up four four acres of community garden. We cut all the aspen off, and uh, we had families out there, 200 families. And the interesting thing was uh, self-sufficient types of people, uh, they were going to raise their own, and potatoes became the number one crop. We had people that were growing potatoes, storing potatoes. (laughs) I never had more questions. You know, it's very interesting because... uh, 
potato in the northern hemisphere, you know, it is uh, the Irish potato grown underground, unlike sweet potatoes, is, is certainly a northern crop, something that grows extremely well in this area. We had a lot of commercial potato production, even some seed production uh, in northern St. Louis County. Big, big crop in Wisconsin. We got Wisconsin listers over there. Wisconsin is about uh, third in the fourth in the country in terms of uh, potato production. Uh, we, of course, got the Pacific area, the Idaho. People are familiar with the russets and so forth out there. But uh, Montana, uh, some irrigated areas in Colorado, uh, certainly in in Washington. But along comes uh, Wisconsin, a great big potato production uh, state, as is Minnesota. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you got the Red River Valley, huge potato production out there. So I was a little startled to see. I think we're about sixth in the country, and I believe Wisconsin's about number three or four. So they... Uh, they really do produce a lot of a lot of potatoes. You know, uh, one thing that people may not be aware of is uh, just how nutritious the potato is. There's a lot of talk about carbs and calories. The mm-hmm. medium potato, and I did pull up some statistics here because I wanted to be sure about this, but medium potato, 265 calories. Uh, protein is what people are not aware of. Six grams of protein, no wow. fat. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of protein in potato, a lot of fiber, a lot of potassium, a lot of uh, vitamin C in the skin. So it's a, it's really a very, very, very uh, nutritious crop. There is the, the carbohydrate there. So if you're diabetic or concerned about that, you have to be aware of that, that it is there. But nonetheless, it's, it's very nutritious, sustained people for a long time. Uh, in northern Minnesota, potatoes, cabbage, and maybe one dairy cow, and, and people did pretty well. They lived long, healthy <laughs> lives, so it, it's pretty interesting. And, and, of course, with modern production, we like to grow our own, obviously, right. but uh, they're inexpensive in the stores, a lot of major commercial production. So if people are concerned, there's a basic staple you can go back to that uh, we grow really in this area. That'll help a little bit with the food budget. Lots okay. of ways to uh, fix them, too, especially <clears throat> if you want to fry them into French fries. Of course, then you lose some of the uh, nutritional value, I'm sure. Well, yeah, we kind of laced it with fat. <laughs> it, it is the number one horticultural crop in the country, ah, and that that's yeah. because of mainly because of chips and fries and processing. <laughs> uh, not as much as consumed right. as table stock as we'd like, but that's where you get into just a little bit of the uh, little bit of the trouble. But nonetheless, uh, in the tuber, very nutritious. And uh, in addition, and something very easy for us to grow in this area. I always enjoyed a good old raw potato on occasion. Did you really? Just bite on into one and finish it up. It's it's good good tasting. Well, that's amazing. Not too many people like them raw. They eat them like apples, huh, Dave? <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Get the skin <laughs> off of there, put a little salt on it, and away you go. <laughs> there you go. You must have come from the farm or something. <laughs> I'm from uh, Potato Country in central Wisconsin, you bet. Oh, you are from that oh, area. What, sure. what town could I ask? Dave? Antigo, home of the uh, Antigo loam, the uh, state, the state soil of Wisconsin. I know it pretty well. A <laughs> huge potato production right. area, actually. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, shout out to University of Wisconsin. Great potato breeding program. I've actually sourced uh, occasional big up a... Uh, pick up load or two of, uh, of certified disease-free potatoes uh, yeah. from that area in Wisconsin. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Most people are not necessarily aware of that. But great big crop. You're aware of it for sure. You bet. Uh, let's go yeah. to the phone again, Bob. we got another caller. Hi, who's this? So this is Stan. Hey, Stan. Hello. I have Hello, a call. Stan. I have a question. Hi. I have a question about uh, I have uh, old apple trees that I want to take and turn the branches into saplings. And when is the best time? to wrap those branches with dirt and hold them together, you know, so you, and uh, t- 
to, then you cut them off and put them in the ground where you want to plant the tree. Maybe you could explain that process a little bit so that we know when to start, how to do it. There's probably other people that would like to do that too. Okay, that's a great question. So you're going to actually, you've got an old apple, you like the apples, correct? And you want to make some new trees out of it. Correct. Okay. Uh, The first question I would ask is, uh, are you going to consider grafting onto a winter hardy rootstock, or is this apple tree on its own roots so you feel uh, if you just take cuttings, uh, get some roots to form, it will be winter hardy for you? Do you have an idea there? Well, you'll have to say that again because these are apple trees. Yeah, I don't know know quite what you're asking. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me me explain that a little bit. Many of the newer varieties, which you go out and purchase from a nursery, virtually all of these newer stock that you're buying has been grafted for winter hardiness or for other characteristics like dwarfing uh, onto a very hardy crabapple rootstock. So they take the cuttings and then they graft them onto a rootstock and then grow it out from there. Now, that's, uh, again, one of the key characteristics is hardiness. That's the first thing we want to think about here. Now, the apple tree that you're coming from, is that an old heirloom that's been around for a long period of time? Oh, I'm going to guess or, 60 Or do you know years, the variety? 60 years, they're, they're uh, yellow transparent. Okay, okay. And uh, do you have, uh, can I just ask approximately, uh, do you think you're zone 3, zone 4? How cold are you where you're going to be doing it? Same, I'm just transporting them or transplanting them probably a half a mile. And you're, how close are you to Lake Superior? Are you zone three or zone four? Uh, I don't know what zone, how far, which one is different. Okay. Uh, we get away with uh, a lot uh, of uh, more temperate varieties closer to the lake. So okay. if you're right on the hill or uh, near the lake, you're zone four. <laughs> if you're over the hill, you're zone three or colder. Well, right now it's about 50, 60 feet from the lake, the one that oh, I want okay. to take, take okay, from. Okay, good. And then the wire I'm going to transplant, it's probably about a mm, quarter of a mile. Oh, so you're getting lake effects, so you're going to be warmer there. Yeah, very old tree, and uh, I think that uh, grafting goes back a long ways, but I think you could certainly try a couple of things. Let's just take the cuttings, okay? You're going to take cuttings off the branches. Try to don't take it off real old woody material. We're going to be coming into... You could do it probably just about any time now and into March and so forth. Uh, you want to get them before they break bud, so March is probably going to be a good time. Uh, again, look for that growth that, that occurred last year if you can find it. In other words, uh, you know, trees tend to grow and you don't take old woody material. You want to take that new material, so you're going to take cuttings. And uh, you're going to need a, a what we call a rooting media, and the best... Uh, you know, there are a number of things that can be used. Uh, personally, I like about a 50% uh, mix of vermiculite and perlite. Uh, you can buy those at lawn and garden shops, mix them 50 <laughs> horticultural grade so mm-hmm. that they drain. So that you're going to take the cuttings, you're going to let them heal off for about 24 hours. You might want to get a little bit of rooting hormone because it's a little tricky because we've got to go from a cutting, a woody material, uh stem material in and we got to get encourage it to set roots so you can uh there are a number of uh rooting hormones root tone is one of the big name brands out there and just a little dab of that rooting hormone and then stick it in yeah get your media moist and you could use uh oh you could use even something like a cake pan 
And uh, so you don't need a tremendous amount of depth there. Get it moist, touch it in the uh, rooting hormone after they've healed off for about a day, and then into this moist rooting media. Then the critical thing is I would pull uh, clear poly, make kind of a frame, and pull clear poly over the top of that uh, and keep it out of the sun so we don't get too hot. So uh, this retains the moisture and the relative humidity around that cutting until we can get uh, the roots established and get some active transport of water. So we just don't want that cutting that you stick there to dry out before the roots have an opportunity to get established and actually carry water up into the rooting. So basically, and uh, temperatures around 70 degrees, a little bit of a tricky process actually for uh, for starting what we call hardwood cuttings, but this is the time of year to do that. But I definitely... Uh, I definitely look at sourcing some rooting hormone, and I'd look at a good media uh, for for rooting, and then I'd look at some way to get your humidity up around those cuttings until they have the opportunity to develop some roots for you. So you and uh, you take, I'd like to take a popsicle stick. You want to just pry it under there and, and see it maybe in two months if you've got enough roots there. And oftentimes they'll stick them out in a nursery bed and protect them. It takes a little while. Uh, to get them established, you just put them up in a hot, dry day with the wind blowing and not a good root system established. So coming into the spring, you want to work up an area, and I think probably you'd want to um, grow them out maybe for a year in that nursery bed. Uh, a good material, sandy loam, drains well. We're talking about outside right now. Good organic material. So it's a little bit of a process. And when you look at these commercially grown trees, uh, they've been at that for six, eight, uh, years and uh, I've had to very carefully work this through. Now, the other thing you might consider is you can get uh, you can get root stocks. You can buy root stocks, and you could graft some of those. And about the same time of year, you could do some grafting onto root stocks. So you've actually got the root that has been developed. And your process is going to be to take those um, those cuttings that you take off the tree, and you're going to graft them onto an already established root stock. And that takes, you got to line up the cambium, that takes a little bit of the technique. And uh, so I think I'd probably consider just sticking them and see if you force the roots. And then also consider uh, developing some grafting skills, get a grafting knife, some grafting wax, and, and try to graft them as well and purchase some root stock. So that's how, kind of a long answer, but. Uh, how, about, how about the uh, wrapping the tree or enclosing the branch? small branch with dirt and preparing the bark on that branch with by slicing it or however they do it and allowing the roots to form in the branch uh, on the tree before you cut it off. Uh, you know, that's a process similar to what we call air layering, and you could try that. I would use uh, sphagnum moss. And I okay. would, uh, you know, make your cutting and open it up a little bit. You're going to have to make a partial cutting anyway because you're going to force the roots. And I wouldn't use uh, just soil. I'd be using uh, sphagnum moss. You can actually buy that dried sphagnum. You're going to encircle it with poly. You're going to make a partial cutting about halfway through and then a, maybe a, a toothpick or something in there to pry that open so the roots form at that point. And with the poly, uh, make sure that uh, sphagnum moss doesn't dry. So you got kind of a pack of sphagnum moss that's called air layering. Uh, it's a little yeah. bit of a process, so it's not done commercially for, for apples. But nonetheless, uh, it's something you could try. 
it may work for you. You're going to have to be very careful because you've got poly there. And in this case, I might use a black poly because you really don't want uh, it to superheat on you because you're on the tree yet in very intense well, sunlight. So, Oh, I see. You want you want the, the uh, covering protected from the sun. Yeah, you want the covering. The covering goes around the moss, and it yep. keeps it wet and moist. So you're going to have to keep this moist. And right. if you use a piece of black poly, it won't absorb as much heat. Clear poly, which is what's used uh, if you're going to use this process on... You know, some of the larger house plants, Diefenbachia and so forth, their layering is used for that. But you're outside, you're coming into the spring, it can get very warm, and that, that sphagnum moss can dry down. If that dries down, then the root development stops. So doing it on the tree, uh, it's not done commercially for lots of reasons, lots of putts and lots of labor. Uh, it could It could work for you. But I'd also be taking the cuttings, and I'd be sticking them okay. as we talk or grafting how, them. How thick of a branch would be your maximum? You'd try that uh, uh, last you're looking at new, new, Right. You're looking at new material, uh, maybe a uh, maximum three-eighths of an inch, quarter inch. You mean, on the, you mean to wrap it with the sphagnum moss? Well, your, your moss pack's going to be maybe uh, three, four inches. Okay, so, so you, wouldn't want a, you wouldn't want a branch larger than three-eighths of an inch to do this with? You want the new you want the new material because that's younger material. So last year's growth. So take a okay. look at that. That's that's going to be about a quarter inch or so. All right, I appreciate. So that. you want to start with young, fresh growth, and then you want a big pillow back around it, and uh, you can okay. try. Take a little look. Make sure that that moss stays moist because you're going to have to keep that moist until the roots develop, and then you can peel that off if you're getting a nice mass of roots that's growing down in that sphagnum moss. Then you can cut that. And you've got a uh, you got a cutting that way. It's going to be tricky, but nonetheless, uh, if you're willing to give it a try, I w- you got three techniques there, and I, I yep. probably might try all three. <laughs> and you're bound to be successful with uh, one or more of them. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for the call. Appreciate it, Bob. We got to take a break. Be right back. More of the Bob Olin okay. Show coming up. All right, back again with the Bob Olin Show. Bob, we got yet another caller on the line. Hi, who's this? Barb. Barb, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I have, but we had a problem with our tomatoes last year, and I have a Uh-oh. couple questions. Great, please, uh, please send them my way. I always, uh, I always have a few problems too. But go ahead. <laughs> what was your issue? Well, we had a few, well, some tomatoes growing, but no, all the leaves were gone. All the stems were pretty much gone, um, and we got some tomatoes. So I, I'm not sure how that happened. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, okay, so you must have had a green plant early in the season, correct? Yes. And that was growing vigorously for you. Beautifully. Beautifully. And then you set green tomatoes on them, correct? Correct. And when did you uh, when did you notice the uh, the leaf drop? Oh, uh, probably all... a month after I planted them. Okay, tell me a little bit about the leaves. Did it start, uh, you know, because these can be, it's uh, more than likely one type of disease or another. We can have uh, vascular diseases, verticillium wilt that can impact. We can have uh, more commonly a lot of uh, fungal disease, foliar fungal disease that can impact them. So tell me, uh, did you observe, did it start at the lower level of the plant and work its way up? Did it start uh, and the new growth? Can you give me any little idea of what it looked like? Oh, I can't. Uh, I just remember everything was yellow. Uh, the leaves everything were yellow, yellow. The stems were yellow. And but we okay. had some fruit. 
Okay, everything yellowed down, but the fruit and the fruit did ripen on the on the plant for you. Yes, it did. Okay, and you saw this. It was kind of like a, a cataclysmic drop where we saw yellow throughout the entire plant, and the plant went down. Is that Correct. right? Correct. Okay, this is a vascular disease. It's probably what we call verticillium wilt. Uh, it's something we can be in, impacted with. Uh, again, the disease uh, probably hastens the maturity of the of the the fruit, but you didn't get full size out of it and so forth. Did the fruit taste all right for you? Yes, that was okay. Okay. Um, sometimes, oftentimes, this can be carried in by the seed. Uh, if you're, do you order your seed uh, from a catalog, or do you buy your transplants? We buy plants from uh, Gordy's. Okay. Okay. Well, it's it's something that sometimes can be carried in from the plant. It can be carried in the soil in any way. Uh, you know, Im- imply that one dealer is better or worse than another. It's common. A lot of places, and we can pick it up in the natural environment as well. Um, I would do this just uh, just cautious. We always want to pick up all that spent uh, tomato material and get it either buried off-site or into a hot compost pile. We don't want to retain any of that organic matter in the soil, and you probably want to plant those plants other places as well. Now, if you're ordering your own seed, uh, you can look for this distinction, VFN-resistant, which is verticillium, fusarium, and nematode-resistant, and that's one of the characteristics of hybrid seeds. So this is something that can hit the heirlooms, can hit a number of varieties, but uh, a lot of the, the newer hybrids, one thing they're looking for is resistance to this type of, uh, this type of disease. Uh, that's not as common as some of our other foliar diseases, early blight, eight blight, and late blight, septoria are quite common fungal diseases, but they don't take down the plant, the entire plant like that. So you've got something that's in the vascular system there, probably verticillium, a viral disease that uh, came in with the plant or with the seed uh, more than likely. So that's well, kind of a long the- explanation, but I'd clean everything up. Even if you didn't get at it in the fall, let's get all of that material out of the uh, out of that area plant a, uh, a different crop entirely, something that isn't in the nightshade family, so don't put your potatoes in there, don't put your peppers in there in that same location, uh, don't put your tomatoes there, move those into another part of the garden, come in with your green beans, your sweet corn, uh, something like that, your carrots that, that won't be affected. Okay? Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you great. much for Thank the call. Thank you. Good, good question. I've had it happen myself, but... Uh, <laughs> Typically, uh, when a plant goes down from top to bottom like that, it's some kind of a vascular disease that we're dealing with there. All right, Bob, another break, and then we're back with the final portion of the Bob Olin Show here this morning. Bob, a fast-moving show today covered a lot of ground, that's for sure. <laughs> no pun intended there, right? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Everything from potatoes to tomatoes. Uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, apple trees. <laughs> and inter- interesting questions. Uh, you know, I'm... I'm going to have to revise my top ten tomato list. Tomatoes are the number one uh, garden vegetable, of course. And that's interesting because, uh, you know, as I looked into their history a little bit, uh, folks thought they were poisonous. Uh, They are, of course, part of the Solanaceae, the nightshade family, as potatoes are. So the plants themselves, the green part, you never want to consume, but the fruit's not poisonous. And there was information, you know, we talk about all the misinformation flying around right now. 
And there was misinformation about the tomato way back when, except things moved a lot slower, of course, at that time. And they thought for the longest time that they were a poisonous plant. And here we went from something that folks thought they were poisonous fruit to the most popular fruit probably in the world, certainly in North America. It, it certainly is. So a warm season crop, of course. And for us, uh, traditionally a cooler season, shorter growing season. We always had to be careful with our variety selection, still do. But I'm kind of looking at uh, some of the higher productive uh, varieties that were developed for points just a little bit farther south, Twin Cities and Iowa, and some work that's being done down in uh, North Carolina, like their breeding program. So we're going to take a look at a few more of these, and I'm actually going to revise our top ten list. We will have some educational program coming up both on the range and in Duluth. We'll let people know about that. That'll be in April. We're going to try to bring people together, limited space, so we can separate people. We're going to give that a shot this year, back together again. But we'll present and and look at uh, some of these newer varieties and other warm season crops. Now, just Dave, you know, just when we get ready for a warm another warm season, uh, we're probably going to have one of those uh, one-off cool years. Who knows what's coming? So you got to plant a little bit of everything, yeah. but nonetheless, uh, we're going to kind of gear up and look at uh, peppers. We had great years last year with ripening, roasting peppers. Got some beautiful color. See a lot of new introductions along the pepper lines, both sweet right. and hot peppers. So they're popular. We'll cover that uh, next week, of, Bob. What's that? We have to cover that next week. We got to run. We're going to go. We already yeah. ate up an hour. So great. <laughs> that was great, Dave. Thank you very much. Have a very good week. Talk you bet. You Catch you Tuesday. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.